Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. So, first up, we'll take a look at the business stories that have been breaking overnight. Joining me this morning are Linda Daly, who's a business reporter with the Sunday Times, and Ian Kern, also a business reporter with the Irish Times. So it's all business and business reporters, and we start with the front page of the Irish Independent. Uh, South Dublin planning saga, Ian. Lawyer leaves top firm firm over 225,000 demand. This is a story that seems to be building. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very interesting story by Finn on Sheehan. Um, obviously, it's the the story about uh, the, na- uh, the the house owners in a what's described as a salubrious outside Dublin suburb who secretly saw two hundred twenty five thousand uh, euro each not to block uh, a, a development in the area. It's a very interesting story. Obviously, uh, it's moved on a bit now, and I suppose the thing here is that um, Finn on writes that um, the the written request for the payment was made by one of the house owners who happened to be a senior lawyer at uh, one of the top firms in the country Madison uh, he sent the email or they sent the email uh, they're not named um, uh, sent the email from their official Madison account obviously perhaps maybe to to uh, to make it look like it was an official email um, yeah. the email address uh, signature and contact details made it clear that the home owner was a senior figure with the firm Finon reports and the company is understood to have launched its own investigation so the company is taking it very seriously and uh, w- which makes sense obviously because uh, the file has been handed to the Garda fraud squad by the developer uh, uh, so the guards are now involved in this so it's very interesting and I think really the thing here is that it, it seems to sort of lift the lid on what seems to be a sort of a widespread practice in the industry of what's called uh, go away money as Finan Sheehan writes um, and I think uh, yeah this is a story that's going to run and run. Yeah and interesting as well as you say Matt and the company involved uh, saying uh, clearly saying that we take this very seriously as you said and the individual no longer works for Madison. Yeah. So that kind of says it's all, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, and as Finn on rights as well, you know, that's in stark contrast to the reaction from the individual who responded that, to say that, that they had no involvement at all. Uh, yeah. in it. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting and it's going to run and run. Uh, Linda, we always like Cliff Taylor's piece here on this programme. Again, he gives us a good dive into the... Uh, column today saying a nexus of multinationals and their advisors wields huge power and this is really the power and the money behind the corporate tax take and the influence that you know uh, foreign investment has had not only in our commerce but on our society. Yeah, and he kind of gives you a bit of an interesting history lesson in it. He says in 1990, we had something like 66 million euro or 57 million pound at the time um, in tax take for multinationals. And this year or last year, 19.66 billion. Yeah, so it's, it's a big difference, you know. And in he's 30 like, years. Yeah, yeah, so kind of behind the scenes, um, he's he's saying that, you know, the multinationals would have kind of open doors to the likes of the IDA and that the government would want to stay on side of Meta, Google, Apple, Pfizer, you know, um, there's three three companies that have the top um, to make up kind of one third. One third or, yeah, or that is incredible. Yeah. He also, does he not reference this new book that I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to read by John Fitzgerald and Patrick Honan entitled Europe and the Transformation of the Irish Economy, basically saying through a mix of good judgment and good luck, Ireland targeted high growth, high tech, uh, and really have done a cracking job 
when we look at it. Yeah, we can't we can't complain, you know. Yeah. I mean, like we have like most of the top companies are here. We have control of like the data. Obviously, it's a lot of trouble for the Data Protection Commission. We have kind of got a powerful um, place in Europe yeah. um, because of those tech companies. And I remember seeing an article from the Irish Times back in 1985, I think it might have been, where a Mr. William Gates was opening up an office in... Yeah. Dublin, you know, and then here we have Microsoft all these years later. The other thing as well, Ian, is that uh, these corporations are really happy with Ireland. Like, this is a two-way street here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, what's interesting, though, as well, I, I think, is that some of the performance of the corporation tax receipts, and this is highlighted by Cliff, has, has been sort of around kind of temporary factors and, yeah. and sort of individual things like, uh, for example, changes that Donald Trump made to the US taxation but system. They but like they, they still rise. They haven't, yes. like all those predictions of this being temporary, of them going away, yeah. haven't realised yet. Absolutely. And I think like one, there are a couple of kind of uh, signposts that Cliff puts up here. One is the May corporation tax receipts, which will be pretty important to see uh, how this contraction in the global tech sector has affected corporation yeah. tax yeah. Uh, receipts in Ireland. So, um, yeah. He also mentions then again about who's in power, that basically business and corporations don't really care who's in power as long as they get their way effectively. Certainly, yeah. And I think that's certainly the case for the multinationals. <laughs> and he makes the point, obviously, about Sinn Féin here. Um, you know, that, that, that uh, I think he quotes somebody as saying that the, the multinationals are agnostic about whether Sinn Féin are in government or who's in government. Um, while that might be the case for the multinationals, you'd wonder maybe if, if domestic businesses feel the same way in the sense that they have that, you know, uh, sense of history and the sense yeah. of kind of... so. Uh, but I think it is certainly the case that nationals will uh, like sharks kind of swim to where the food is I think is the <laughs> okay <clears throat> staying with uh, employment Linda <coughs> excuse me staying with employment uh, more jobs than workers in many sectors leave employers calling for housing solutions this is going to be a real impediment to progress yeah. uh, in terms of you know even in, when we look at the previous story there of you know of the the foreign direct investment, if if foreign direct investment can't house their employees, you know, it's going to stop, it's going to, it's going to stop them coming. Yeah. And that's it. So Emmett Malone is kind of chatting to recruitment agents who are pointing out that we need 10,000 one bedroom apartments um, to accommodate all these workers. So, you know, you have the likes of construction workers who can't find anywhere to live and um, you, you can't, you, apprentices don't get the, they don't even have laws around their minimum wage. Um, you, you have people who you usually would travel, would expect to live up by themselves, but have to share due to the high rents. Um, I mean, it's a real issue. And then you have people stopping developments. Sorry to go back to the, <laughs> the you know, stopping developments happening. Um, but, you know, it, it, yeah, it's it's a problem. Any 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 company you talk to, IBEC has spoken, has surveyed the employers. The issue is housing for staff. You know, you have hotels now building or wanting to build homes and cabins for their staff. Um, yeah. Something has to well, we've got 2.61 million people in employment, which is their figures that we've never seen before, mm, which, is uh, which is really positive. Yeah. Um, but you're right, you're going to see places like we already see it, like in the old days, the hospitality, all the old hotels in Ireland always had staff accommodation. Yeah. And now we're going back to that, that, that in order to A, attract and B, retain, which is retention is, is almost more challenging than attracting staff. But things like accommodation and where a business lo is located, these become hugely much more important, 
you know, than, than, than traditional. Yeah, and I speak, I'm supposed to tie it back to the corporation tax point. I think what's really interesting about this is like, you know, zooming out from the housing crisis. I think the point that Emmett makes and talking to some people here is that like, this may be a structural problem with the economy in the sense that like, we're expecting the economy to keep growing. We're expecting these as, you know, the, the flood of corporation tax receipts, you know, strong performance. I think one person says there, you know, if we're forecasting 5% growth this year and 5% growth next year, we're probably going to have a tight labour market. Yeah. We're going to have too many, uh, mm. you know, uh, jobs uh, for, for for the number of workers in the economy. So it is a bigger picture issue and kind of not just located within the, the housing crisis issue kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Linda, if we go uh, stateside for a moment, uh, lots of talk yeah. this morning about uh, one Donald Trump. Um, the front page of the Irish Times tells us that uh, Trump held on to secret nuclear papers. Um, this is, I, I only read in detail about this this morning, but this could have serious implications uh, for his uh, his rerun at the presidency. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not surprising people were saying if he wasn't going to be, um, you know, if he wasn't going to kind of be affected um, with the Stormy Daniels case, that this was coming down the line and that this could be the thing that could finally knock him off his perch. But yeah, so I mean, just it's just so astonishing. Like it's 37 criminal accounts. Um, He had documents about nuclear programmes, vulnerabilities to military attacks, plans for um, retaliation then and where did he store them in his bathroom in his bedroom in the ballroom seems bizarre yeah yeah and bragging to people about you know his inside knowledge and it's just it's so typical of the man isn't it really um ian martin wall tells us here that if convicted mr trump could face a lengthy jail sentence each count of willful retention of records carries a maximum 10-year sentence yeah absolutely and i think um he he also Martin also writes on page nine just about how seriously the U.S. takes uh, it, tell us it, about it, that. secrets. Uh, he, he makes the point here about a, a man called Robert Bertram, who's a, a 55 year old former U.S. Air Force intelligence officer uh, who was sentenced at the beginning of June by a court in Florida for keeping classified documents at his home and other uh, unauthorized locations. Um, prosecutors maintained that in 2017 it had been discovered that Bertram knowingly removed more than 300 classified files or documents. Um, and, and I mean, like there are a number of other high profile examples of this. We've heard one recently about somebody who was sharing uh, uh, confidential documents about the Ukraine war on a Discord server with, a, uh, you know, his, his gamer friends uh, just for kind of clout <laughs> effectively with his friends. And, and we've had a number of these cases. So it is something that, you know, the US takes very seriously. Obviously, we've had Chelsea Manning uh, and Assange and all of that as well. Um, so, yeah, look, it, it is important. But I think what's interesting is if he does face uh, a lengthy jail uh, sentence or if he does face criminal prosecution here, um, you would wonder, obviously, what this means for the, for the Republic Republican race yeah. for the nomination. Um, that perhaps is the only way that I think somebody could catch him. And I think, like looking at the polls, um, Ron DeSantis' <clears throat> campaign has not gotten off to a great start. And yeah. He's also failed to scare off any other candidates. We saw Chris Christie and others come into the race this week. So it is interesting, but it, it's probably the only hope that somebody <clears throat> like DeSantis has. Yeah, and interesting enough, you take you say about uh, the Americans taking secrecy seriously. Uh, look how much they spend on it. Um, in that other article by Martin Wall, we're told all the secrecy does not come cheap. In 2017, the Information Security Oversight Office, that's the agency tasked with the oversight of the system, uh, estimated the US spend 18.39 billion 
on security classification. It's yeah, a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Linda, I don't know if you're going on your holidays lately, but if you're bringing your car, <laughs> I'd urge you maybe to think about leaving it behind because in all the papers today, we're told about uh, the DAA dismissing Ryanair's car park idea, saying it is not running a country fair. A war awards here. Um, <clears throat> interesting enough, DAA's Kenny Jacob, former formerly yes, yeah. of the Ryanair Parish. So this is the War Awards, but I think we can read behind some of the lines here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we have the fact that he isn't a former employee. But um, look, this all stems from the fact that Jerry Gannon, um, the developer, was selling his car park. Um, he has been tied in with NAMA. Um, DAA got the successful bid of 70 million. And just million. to point out, this was, a, this was the only independent car, car. park that was out at Dur- Dublin Airport. Yeah, yeah so there's over 6,000 spaces. So it closed um, and yeah. is for sale. The DAA have bought it, but it's subject to the... Uh, Data, uh, CCPC, yeah, yeah, yeah. the competition Obviously, authority. Yeah. Um, so, so, like, I mean, the, the operator of Europarks, Dave Cullen, he has offered to go in and run a kind of he could lease it off them until the decision is made. And um, the Sunday Times, we had an article there a couple of weeks ago, kind of suggesting that um, the the journalist Patrick O'Donoghue went to the DAA and to NAMA um, just to see if this was a possibility. They kind of said it's not up to us, you know, just shirking it. I mean, so there are possibilities. Ryanair's suggestion is that DAA use some of its land. The DAA... I think um, that's probably a bit flippant given that there's planning, etc. and infrastructure required for... Like, it's not like open up a field there, lads, and we're just throwing the cars in as if it's some sort of... uh, County fair. (laughs) Yeah, it's what they said. Slain of 30 years ago. Yeah, Uh, Simplistic nonsense (laughs) is what they said. So I just think, you know, Ryanair... Going to go, Linda. Where where is this going to? What where is this going to end? Well, I think it's going to take another couple of months before the CCPC decides um, who if the DAA can buy it. Um, And it had six complaints. I had that story. Um, got a few months ago now, and it was flagged at the time that we would not have that extra car park for summer. And here we are. So I don't think it's going to be resolved before summer. Yeah, the end of summer. Um, Ian, um, the electric car. Um, again, in your own paper of note, Colin Gleeson, writing that. Uh, there's been a huge rise in the new hybrid uh, and electric cars. So the market is definitely moving there. It's taken a while to catch on, but we're seeing figures now that say electric car- cars are definitely here to stay. Yeah. And they are the biggest growth sector of the car market. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think like the, the latest figures show that in the first five months of the year, uh, new plug-in hybrid electric uh, car registrations um uh, rose 21% compared with the same period in uh, last year. Um, it, it means that uh, more than a quarter of the new cars licensed in the first five months of the year were uh, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles or electric compared to just over uh, 22% last year. So that's a big increase. It's obviously, I think, a function of uh, the incentive schemes that the government have brought in, particularly around the grants uh, for, for, for adoption. And now I wonder about this rise in the first five months of the year. Is that to do with motorists trying to get in ahead of the cut to the grant that's coming in at the end of June yeah. the is obviously reducing the subsidy because they say now the time is to put the money into sort of the, the infrastructure rather than the actual incentivizing adoption of EVs because we already have this this big increase so um, but but it is something that's uh, it, it is interesting and, and that cut comes in I think at the end of the month so um, yeah It's interesting as well around you know things like benefit and kind like these like you really do need to have cost incentives and savings incentives. We've also seen a huge rise in the cost of, 
you know, the public charging system. So the cost there, while they were very, very low, have increased significantly. Now, they're still yeah. probably well less than running a diesel or a petrol, but they, the increase has been... Uh, so those kind of things don't help yeah, when people are looking. Yeah. Um, Linda, I just thought there was a good article in the, in the uh, Irish Mail uh, by Mr. Bean himself, Mr. Rowan Atkinson, who is a car buff who's been into cars for many years. And he gives a kind of an overview saying that our honeymoon with electric vehicles is over. So for now, my my advice is hang on to your old petrol motor. Why is he saying this? Yeah, look, it's a really thought-provoking piece. Um, so, I mean, he has issues with the electric car. So, you know, the electric cars use lithium-ion batteries. So they're kind of heavy. They're, they take a lot of energy to make. Um, he's saying other better f- f- formulas are coming down the way, like the likes of hydrogen. Um, but also he makes the point that, you know, we're all kind of being encouraged to buy these electric cars when we, we change our cars every three years. Why don't we hold on to them for at least five years? We all have this older stock. Yeah. So I suppose it's like, it's the thinking that's in the construction sector now, you know, instead of building, knocking down old buildings, renovate them, you know. Well, he says that the biggest problem we need to address is society's relationship with the car, uh, the fast fashion sales culture that has been the commercial template of the car industry for decades. So, as you say, that, that t- changing from five years, three years to five years would have a marked difference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he also points out, Ian, about uh, things like hydrogen. Yeah. Formula One is going to it so that we maybe maybe just need to widen our scope yeah. in terms of alters, which I, I think this is a really good article. Yeah, no, it's a very even-handed piece, actually. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I mean, like the, the, the point that he sort of hints at about lithium is that like if you, uh, lithium, which is used obviously in the in the batteries at the moment in, in EVs, um, you know, uh, the, the the point, I suppose, is that if you look at an electric car, obviously it has zero exhaust emissions. But yeah. then if you look at the actual, I suppose, the, the process of extracting lithium and getting it around the world and, and moving it into factories, obviously that that's quite emissions in- intensive and lithium extraction itself is bad for the environment. Um, and I think his point then is sort of about, uh, you know, hydrogen, maybe the next step. So, yeah, it, it is a very kind of even handed piece. I think It's good to see Formula One going to use synthetic fuel from 2026. I think that's that will that will actually you know formula one is a huge just in terms of trendsetting trendsetting yeah, yeah, yeah it's massive um uh okay linda so we won't see you driving a uh, a synthetic fuel car you won't Not be yet. getting a hydrogen anytime soon I still have my petrol car right. unfortunately <laughs> now we we look at the uh the, at, at the retail sector quite a lot here on this show um interesting piece in Cantillon as part of the irish times today that the Blanchardstown sale vindicates Stephen Vernon's foresight again. Now, again, just looking through this article, it is really telling, I think, Linda, that, you know, the Blanchardstown shopping centre being sold at a potential loss of 100 million uh, compared with the 750 it spent acquiring the property uh, from private equity giant Blackstone in 2020. There's an underlying issue here, is there not, around the value of commercial property. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose this really shows that it has has fallen um, in the last few years. So, I mean, Goldman Sachs didn't actually acquire the property. So they had the mezzanine finance that Blackstone 
um, had taken out Blackstone where the previous owners they bought it for over a billion 950 million was the, the price yeah. by the time you put in all the extra costs um, and they walked away basically in 2018 um, or I'm sorry it wasn't 2018 2020 and um, so Goldman Sachs kind of took it over so they were kind of accidental owners if that makes sense yeah, and they're happy no, to walk away now yeah. sometimes <laughs> but, if you sometimes the bank has to step yeah. in it's the only yeah. option um, but <laughs> this highlights I mean Stephen Vernon comes off as a genius here I don't know if he might say it could be luck well he went timing. on to do further genius then with the uh, uh, with with the green reef. Uh yeah. so like he also didn't spend, he didn't invest when the Celtic Tiger was going crazy, and he held back. So he's proved to be a very wise seventy-three-year-old, and his reputation reputation in commercial property continues to be enhanced. Ian, yeah, absolutely. Um, again, I think like the big picture here with is that we've had a kind of a whack of shopping centres go up for sale over the last kind of. 18 months or so as well. Um, and Some uh, of them for quite low so, money. Yeah, absolutely. And below, yeah. below the guide price and certainly below what, what they were, were, were. A lot of them were distressed assets and even when they were bought at that stage in the middle of the you know the crisis, um, the, the, they're being bought or sold now for, for less than that. So it, it is very interesting this trajectory that uh, shopping centres have been on. And I think the point here is in this piece that, you know, Stephen Vernon, it was, he was adamant at the time that he wasn't calling the top of the market. But I think actually, perhaps, <laughs> Perhaps he was being a bit yeah. <laughs> uh, understated about that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one and it's part of a bigger kind of story, I think. Yeah, and it does show where we are now, yeah. um, which is all, all more, more important. And Linda, I'm nay happy it's written all over my face. Tell me more. Yes. Yeah, so. Why the long face at the horse <laughs> as he walked into the bar? <laughs> um, researchers from the University of Lincoln have done um, quality research here. Um, horses have distinct facial expressions for disappointment and frustration. I'm sure horse owners will know this well. Um, so yeah, so you, you know they can they can show you if they're disappointed. Um, they flare their nostrils. They stick out their tongues. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't have a horse. I don't know horses, but um, I would imagine that horse owners would realise this. Ian Curran, last word to you. Why the long face? Yeah, I think it's interesting. One of the things there, the um, uh, when frustrated, horses tend to show uh, more of the whites of their eyes, which sounds a lot like, you know, the eye roll emoji, you know, which, which is one that I use a lot, actually. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, as I said, two great business reporters providing exquisite business analysis of, a, of, uh, of the media landscape around business today. Thank you to Ian Curran, a reporter with the Irish Times, and Linda Daly, a reporter with the Sunday Times. Uh, enjoy your weekend, folks. Thanks, Thank you. And thanks for joining us. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk.